0: Hi friend, welcome to the Quiet Connections podcast. Do you feel anxious and not good enough in social situations? Feel like you're weird, broken or don't fit in? You are not alone. Join Haley and Stacey on a journey to quiet confidence. Picking up key insights to help you feel more calm and confident. So you can finally speak up, join in and feel like you belong too. Welcome back to the Quiet Connections podcast. I'm Hayley and I am a highly sensitive person. Are you not sure what that means? Well, you might want to stay tuned because you have a one in five chance of being a highly sensitive person too. And in fact, it's probably more likely seeing as you have landed up here with us. Perhaps you've been told that you're too sensitive or too emotional or caring and you feel like there's something wrong with you. In this episode, you're going to find out why it's so important to understand high sensitivity, what makes us highly sensitive, how this affects us, and in turn, how we, as a highly sensitive person, have special gifts to share with the world. Today, I am joined by Diane O'Shea for a conversation about being a highly sensitive person, recognising what you need, and designing a life that works for you. Welcome to Quiet Connections, Diane. Thank you. Really happy to be here. Would you like to just share a little about your story?
1: Yes, I would. So, um, there was a time in my life, well, a long period of time in my life, really, when I would, um, look back now and say I was a bit of a disaster, um, with anxiety. And at times that, that actually exhibited itself as depression as well. And, um, I've been on this very, very long journey to learning where that comes from and understanding it and and even embracing it. And I'm at this point now where I just I'm in love with life and I really want to help other people if I can, you know, shortcut their journey a little bit.
0: And here is it that you help at the moment. So I work
1: specifically with a category of people called highly sensitive people. This is a term that was coined by Elaine Aaron. Um, She wrote a book called The Highly Sensitive Person, and I ran across it in a bookstore when I was 32, and I had to stop and say, wait a minute. People have told me 20,000 times in my life that I'm too sensitive. I have to pick up this book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can relate. <laughs> and I've read that book and it was life-changing for me. How was it for it, you? It
1: is, isn't it? You know, it really was life-changing. Um, I was taking a weekend by myself and went and just stayed in a hotel room. And I I had planned on just reading. Um, I'm a little bit of a bookaholic. And I ran across this book and I read the first few pages and I, it was, I felt more seen than I had ever felt in my entire life. And I devoured that book in the weekend. And that was really the beginning of understanding there isn't something wrong with me. There's something different from 80% of the population, but it is actually something that's right with me.
0: Yeah. Okay, tell us a little bit more. So 20% of the population are highly sensitive and what does this mean?
1: Yeah. So highly sensitive, <laughs> this is a term that a lot of people shy away from because the term sensitive in western society can feel like weakness. Oh, yes. Um but but it isn't and it isn't just about being emotionally sensitive. It's really uh it's like having a nervous system on steroids <laughs> that is just super highly tuned and you know that can manifest itself as you know having a really hard time in group situations where there's a lot of noise um you know it can be simple things like tags on the back of my shirts drive me absolutely crazy um you know a lot of chaos drives me crazy Um, For some people, it can be a certain sound. And we also pick up, we're we're extremely highly attuned to the the body language and the nonverbals of other people. And we have a tendency to actually experience their emotions. And for decades, I did this without realizing it. Because you think that the way you experience the world is the way that everyone else is experiencing the world. Mm-hmm. And so learning that you really do experience it differently is um extremely eye-opening and it can be the first step to going, okay, all right, I get it. I get it. Now I can learn how to manage it, design my life around it, you know, and really learn to leverage it because in many ways it is a gift.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Would you like to touch on that a bit more, talk about how being highly sensitive is actually a bit of a superpower?
1: Oh my gosh, I would love to because there are so many articles out in the world that talk about highly sensitive people and it can be a little depressing because they talk about all the ways that things bother us and that you know, after a while it can start to feel a little bit, like a little bit of a pity party. Mm. But we have a tendency to be, helpers, healers, creatives. We, we connect with people one-on-one very strongly. And so a lot of HSPs are, you know, therapists and coaches and nurses and, you know, anything where you really do need to be able to connect with the other person um, in order to be able to help them. And yeah. There are just so many ways that you can leverage that once you design your life around it.
0: Yeah. I think we, we feel things more deeply. We notice things that other people don't.
1: We're, we're thinking
0: more deeply. We might call ourselves an overthinker.
1: Yes. Yes. And we're not overthinkers. We're just, we're very deep thinkers.
0: Mm. And the world needs that. The world needs that balance. Absolutely. And you do see this in the animal kingdom as well. There are those animals that are more sensitive, looking out and looking after the rest, the rest of the tribe and keeping everyone safe. Yes. And we need them. Yes. And it's so interesting. And knowing that it happens
1: in the animal kingdom, I think this is just, this is something that exists in the world. The world needs this 20%. We have a purpose here and uh, it can be really amazing.
0: Yeah. So tell me what your life was like before you realized that you were highly sensitive. Oh, my goodness.
1: I didn't really I knew that noise and things like that. So I had two kids 15 months apart. That was a little difficult for me, the crying and that, you know, just being kids. Mm. But I didn't know why I felt like it was something wrong with me. And um, I did pick up on the emotions of other people. I was very in tuned and working in um you know the world of high stress tech there are people who are frustrated and so i was taking that in all day long so i was um yeah i was an anxious wreck i i really was and i just didn't know why and so there was this feeling of shame around it you know mm. because it just felt like i should be able to deal with all of this and there's something wrong with me
0: yeah yeah, yeah. so that that
1: was the before
0: I can very much relate to that sense of like, well, there must be something wrong with me because the people I see around me seem to be coping perfectly fine. And they're telling me, they're telling me I'm too sensitive and there is something wrong with me. So
1: exactly.
0: Yeah. So what shifted for you then when you found out that you were a highly sensitive person and actually there was nothing wrong with you at all?
1: Well, it didn't happen overnight there. I mean, there was relief immediately, Mm -hmm. And realizing that this was just something about me, you know, um, there is a, a little bit of nature nurture, but they have found some genetic differences in highly sensitive people. Yeah. And, um, so I just started digging into more and more of, okay, what, what is the power of being an introvert? What, what might be the good things about this? And, you know, just kind of slowly changing things around my life to the point where now my life is designed around my high sensitivity. And it it took some time, but um, it is such a such a really great, beautiful thing.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned being an introvert as well there. Is there an yes. overlap between introversion and high sensitivity that you know of? There is a very high
1: overlap. There are some highly sensitive people who are extroverted, um, but they are definitely the the vast majority, or I'm sorry, minority. I I actually um, have a lot of empathy for them because they're they're even a little bit more of the unicorns than those of us who are introverted. But um, yes, most highly sensitive people are Introverted on personality scales, I actually fall in the middle of introvert and extrovert. But you know what it means to be introverted is not necessarily shy, but it does mean that we have to go back into a quiet space to re-energize ourselves. Mm. We need to go back into a place where we have the space to do that deep thinking and kind of you know recover in quiet from from the noise of the world. And then, you know, then we're ready to go out and, and interact again.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So how did you design a life that works for you?
1: Uh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, one of the things that I had to come to terms with was just being single. Mm-hmm. Um, I am actually happ- happily single. I'm not, I'm not opposed to someday finding that person who is you know, accepting of my introversion. I'm sure that that person is out there somewhere, but I did actually learn to let go of society's expectation that I needed to be partnered with someone and be with another person every moment of my day. Yeah. Um, so I have learned to accept that and I'm, I'm actually quite quite happy with that. But I I did have to take a very close look at my career which was very, very contrary to being a highly sensitive person. I worked in um, high stress tech and I worked for medical device companies. So there was that feeling that in the end we were creating something that helped people, but it still was, it was just a, a daily hourly challenge for me to be constantly facilitating meetings of 12 to 20 people um, facilitating, you know, these stressful negotiations, it just really, it, it took all of my energy and really didn't give me any. Yeah. So I got to a point where I really had to look at that closely and say, you know what, this is, you know, I it's the corporate chains, you know, the, mm-hmm. the money and the benefits and all of that good stuff was there, but the quality of life was not. Yeah. Yeah. So I made the decision to change My career.
0: I'm hearing a lot of going against the grain, going against what society tells us we should be doing. And, you know, I think we get messages that we should be in certain types of job. We should have our relationship and be settled down and things. And, and it doesn't work for all of us in the same way that it tells us that it should.
1: That's right. And I think that that's a really, that's really the big journey of being a highly sensitive person We do tend to think differently and we do tend to question things because we have that deep thinking and we all need to, you know, work on that journey of being accepting of those places where we don't fall in line with the, you know, with society's expectations. Mm -hmm. And once you get to that point of acceptance, um, it just opens up a whole new, just opens up a whole new world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely beautiful. So how, how do we get to that place of acceptance when like we've we've been so many years being told that we're wrong, feeling that we're wrong and defective and there's something wrong with us? Well, how do we make that shift?
1: That's, that is such a great question. In the, in the very shortest term, the things that we have to do is pay attention to what triggers us and the thoughts that come after And really question those, Mm -hmm. you know, so some of the things that used to trigger me are even my parents say, oh my gosh, Diane, I I would be so sad to live alone. (laughs) It would just be so triggering for me. And so you have an initial reaction, but you have to stop and ask yourself, Mm -hmm. um, coming from a place of her fear of being alone, right? And just acknowledging that and saying, okay, um, that's her fear, not my fear. I don't need to take that on. And um, replacing it with something else, replace it with a new thought. You know, the new thought is, I'm really loving the place I'm living right now. I am, I am open to a partnership at some point, um, but I'm really happy with where where my life is right now. It's okay yeah. that she feels the way she feels, and it's okay for me to be who I am. And so, in every instance, you just kind of go through that same thought process. And question what is it that's triggering me you know is it real what's the story I'm telling myself and questioning that
0: story oh I really like that what's the story that I'm making up and and I think that you're right we have all of these beliefs that we collect as we're growing up and they're not necessarily ours they're not necessarily true they're kind right. of other people's expectations so it's we need to really separate that and then think about what feels good for us what's our body telling us that we need
1: yes absolutely and i think that's a really good point that you just brought up because as highly sensitive people we do tend to feel things physically first mm. so when something triggers us we do tend to feel it and so really tuning into our bodies and listening is a you know a, a really huge advantage that we have where you know people who are not highly sensitive may not have that cue Um, So it may take them longer to figure out, you know, what's eating at them. So, yeah, yeah, that's a great point.
0: And again, I think that takes practice because, again, we're living in a culture that kind of tells us to live in our heads and do what makes sense and what we can logically explain. And we're not always taught how to listen to our gut and our, our intuition.
1: Absolutely, absolutely true. Yes. And I feel like we were given intuition for a reason. Mm. And so learning even what intuition feels like to us, we have a tendency to feel intuition first as well and kind of learning to get comfortable with listening to that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what would the the first step that you would suggest to somebody be?
1: Um, If we're getting in touch with their intuition? Yes. Yes. Well, think of a time when you had a really strong intuition about something and it was correct. Sometimes we just get an intuition that someone is just very kind and they're very nice people and and we just want to have a relationship with them. And sometimes we have an intuition that there's someone who is not trustworthy Mm. and you know, our intuition about people does tend to be right. So thinking about a time when you had a strong intuition, whether you listened to it or not at the time, and then was that intuition correct? Right. And then just getting in touch with, okay, what did that feel like to me? And then as that feeling comes to you later, you know, paying attention to it, Yeah. Journaling about it is a great thing to do. You know, journaling about your intuition and then, you know, seeing whether that actually comes out to be something that's true or not can really help you get in touch with it.
0: Yeah. So it's bringing awareness to it and building trust at the same time.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You're building trust in yourself.
0: Yeah. And I think it's really important to know that you know that intuition is really valid and science has now proven that we have you know neural networks in our heart and in our gut just the same as we do in our heads so that intuition is is really part of your intelligence system it's not separate to us
1: i completely agree and there are times when our intuition tells us something my intuition tried to tell me for decades that i was in the wrong career And that was a really big, scary change. So that was something that I really tried to stuff down for a long, long time. And, you know, over time, it started to come out in physical ways, Mm -hmm. you know, um, physical issues and things like that. So, so it is good to, to learn, to develop, you know, being in touch with that intuition and um, doesn't mean that anyone has to go out and quit their job tomorrow. But if it is telling you something like that, you know, just take small steps in that direction and see how that feels.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have, I've been in that situation too, where everything was telling me to, to leave the job. It wasn't good for me. It wasn't feeling good. And in the end I was getting really poorly and I just wasn't showing up as my best self. And I knew I had to leave. And I did kind of take a deep dive and, and leave. And I ended up, unemployed for a little while and just spent some time exploring.
1: That is amazing. I realize that not everyone can do that. And highly sensitive people, we do because of all of our sensitivities, right? We have all of this input coming to us in all of these ways and from all of our senses. And so we do have a tendency to be a bit anxious anyway. And so highly yeah. sensitive people do have a tendency like I did to stay t- too long, because you're actually afraid of the anxiety that might come with it. But there are ways to work through that as well. So I mean, I just I commend you for having the courage to follow your intuition and, and take that step.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it was it was very, very scary. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, ultimately everything that I've learned along the way, experimenting and just seeing what actually did feel like a good fit for me has all come together in what I do today. So, oh,
1: that's so amazing. I love that.
0: I think it's really important to trust your instinct and just go with the flow and yeah, see see where it's taking yes, you. Yes,
1: it is very, very important. It's okay to be different.
0: Yeah. So you're mentioning about the anxiety, and uh, yeah, I can absolutely relate to the anxiety that you you might feel as a highly sensitive person. So, what are the kind of coping strategies that you suggest using?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. My first one is is um, managing my thoughts, like we talked about before.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: something that when you practice it, it's to the point now where it happens you know, within like two seconds, I can go through that cycle of I've been triggered. I realize where it comes from um, and I can put it in perspective and calm down a little bit, but um, you know, uh, following your joys, you know, making sure that you have joy in your life and just making sure that you, that you do design your life and have, we usually need a certain amount of quiet time. So how can you get that? You know, I raised two kids by myself for 10 years, so I had to get creative about, you know, it was, you know, time in the bathtub. That was my creative, like (laughs) that was my quiet time, you know, you might have to get really creative about it. Wake up before the rest of the family or stay up a little bit later, do whatever you need to do, but definitely make sure that you get what you need. You know, if it's exercise, if it's meditation, whatever it is for you. Um, You know, coloring books, I have to say uh, that, you know, might sound very childish, but um, just sitting down in front of Netflix with a coloring book, it's hard for your brain to be anxious when it's focused on something as simple as a coloring book. And I love color. So that is something that definitely relaxes me. Yeah. Um, So it might be something a little bit different for everyone, but just kind of experiment and find that thing. That lets your brain kind of have a little mini vacation.
0: There's lots of creative, um, lots of creative ways to manage that anxiety. How do you know what you need? You know,
1: I think it comes back down to intuition. Um, I, I did realize from my intuition before I knew I was a highly sensitive person mm-hmm. that I had to have quiet time to kind of re-energize. Um, once I knew I was a highly sensitive person, I think I did start to get a little bit more creative about it, but I think it is about just trying different things. You know, a lot of people like to meditate. I do meditate a little bit, but, um, it's not something that I really yet enjoy. Um, don't tell yourself that you should meditate because again, it's about what works for you. Yeah, so what feels
0: good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So just try different things until you figure out it used to be running. I can't run anymore, but that used to be, you know, my time away from the family and my quiet time. And I kind of worked out physically some of my anxiety. Um, Mm. I had a hip replacement, so I had to get a little bit creative again to kind of figure out what would take its place, but, you know, follow your intuition, follow that path and try things. And if something doesn't work, ditch it and and try something else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So kind of have a go. And where, like we were saying earlier, just exp- explore and see where it takes you.
1: Yes. Yes. And the exploring is fun, you know, make it fun. I think that's is. an important aspect of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So can you share with us some of the stories of transformation that may have come from either you or your clients when they've done this work?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, the transformation is amazing. I mean, I will admit there was a time in my life when I needed therapy, you know, so, um, I'm, I'm a a life and spiritual coach. Now the difference between therapy and coaching is that therapy is if you really have experienced trauma in your life and what felt traumatic for me as a child might not have felt traumatic to someone who wasn't highly sensitive, right? So there is no right or wrong, but there there was a time when I was going through a divorce and I was becoming a single parent and I had just started a new job and it was like, I need help. So mm-hmm. I actually ended up in therapy for a couple of years, which was life-changing, but there came a time where that was kind of helping keeping me stuck because therapists are not really highly trained in how to focus on the future. And that's really what, what a a highly trained coach is about. And I, I encourage people to seek out, um, you know, coaches who have actually been trained because any, anyone can call themselves a coach, you know, do your shopping for a coach, just like you would for a doctor or a surgeon or, or anyone else. But there are people that I've worked with for only six weeks who have just realized these patterns because of our past. We, Like you said, we have these thought processes and these things that we take as truth that are just built in, and they run our lives subconsciously. Um, But you can work with a coach and uncover these patterns, and it can be life-changing because as we're talking about, it brings awareness. And there are certain things where we can uncover our own patterns, but I talk about it, the metaphor that I use is you're on your sailboat and we all have an anchor. And there are times when your anchor gets stuck and you can't see under your own boat. So you need another person to just, you know, be able to, you know, talk with you and interact with you. And then, you know, as a trained outside person, we can identify those patterns and question them and help you question them. And it can be absolutely life-changing.
0: Yeah, I agree. Coaching is so powerful and it's, it's what has really helped me as well. I had counseling for a little while and I just found that they didn't really get it. But yes. when I went to coaching, it was, it was totally different with coaching. I think one of the most powerful things for me was I studied NLP and learned all about the way that we, the, our language patterns and the way that we think and, and the way that I was talking to myself and really keeping myself in this place where I felt like a victim was so, so surprising. And oh my gosh,
1: I did the same. I did the same for all of those years. I really felt like, you know, I didn't consciously think of myself as a victim, but it was like, oh my gosh, life is so hard and all of these bad things keep happening. You know, I just, I really was stuck in this victim mindset. And um, yeah, I think that is one of the biggest things that people realize in coaching is how they talk to themselves. They don't, they're oftentimes that's one of our anchors and we've done it forever. And so we don't even see that we're doing it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a, a trained empathetic coach can pick up on those patterns and say, you know, if it's okay, I would like to share with you something I'm noticing. (laughs) Mm. Yes. (laughs) And many times people go, wow, because they realize that it's really someone else's voice, a a parent, or, you know, it's some other voice that we have recorded in our head that we just keep repeating over and over and over again without even realizing it.
0: Yeah. And like you said earlier, when we are highly sensitive, we are far more affected by our childhoods. If we do experience something in childhood, we might, you know, that might be a real traumatic experience to us. um, Whereas with someone else, it won't be. And on the flip side of that, we are really affected by positive experiences as well.
1: I'm really happy that you mentioned that because that is very true. You know, people who are highly sensitive are so open to coaching and, and and kind of thinking in terms of imagery and metaphors and they do have a tendency to make the change faster mm. yeah it's very very true
0: another one of the uh, highly sensitive superpowers that's <laughs> right that's right absolutely fantastic so looking back at your life now what advice would you give to yourself when you were younger
1: Boy, that's a good question. I wish that I would have known what coaching was when I was younger. Um, I I definitely wish that I would have known about the skill of even just inspecting your own thoughts. You know, just Mm. start there. Just start with doing what you can within your own sphere of influence, you know and the journaling and things like that. I studied through the Therapeutic Writing Institute in Denver, Colorado for five years. And um, so journaling is a really fantastic way to inspect your thoughts because your brain is very tricky. And if you're just thinking about things, it has a very, very tricky way of skipping over the things that you find unpleasant to think about. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you journal them and you're kind of forced to finish a complete thought you can sometimes get much more clear on things than you do just thinking about it
0: yeah and our brains are kind of trying to prove ourselves right as well so we we won't necessarily pick up on where we're tripping ourselves up and using like we were saying earlier victim thinking and
1: yes it's very true and we all have this this part of us that is you know a a critical voice and one of the things that we can realize is that this voice does have a purpose at one point in time it kept us safe somehow Mm -hmm. um you know if it's a voice that you know for some people it it tells them that they're always doing something wrong and you know and it's worse it can tell you that you're stupid or things like that but You picked this, you picked this sort of voice up as a child to kind of avoid the situations that were unpleasant, right? You know, whatever it was for you as a child. Um, So over time, you almost end up becoming a parent to this voice that you developed as a child where you can say, okay, look, I really appreciate that you're trying to keep me safe. Here's a doll. (laughs) Go play. (laughs) I've got this. I'm going to do this thing that feels scary to you, but I've got this. We're we're okay.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of giving yourself that reassurance that we may not have received as a child. Because yes. from an adult perspective, it's really difficult to see the things that are scary to a child.
1: Yes. Yes, it's true. It's
0: true. Okay. You mentioned that you have really worked on interacting with other people and speaking in front of others and that that used to be a bit of a tricky thing for you.
1: Yes. Oh my God. Can you tell us
0: a bit more about that please?
1: Well, I can tell you when I was in high school, so I was very, very shy as a small child. And I tried to be very, very quiet because I lived in this big boisterous family and that kind of helped protect me. Mm -hmm. But in high school, I remember a few times um, there was this boy that I had such a crush on. I mean, I can't even tell you. I had a I had a picture of him. I don't even know where I got it. This is before the days of, you know, cell phones. Um, and I actually ended up getting a date with him and I was so terrified that I literally did not speak. That's, that's how afraid I was of, of speaking and saying the wrong thing. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, this thing called exposure therapy where, you know, it's most famous for, you know, people who are afraid of a spider. It's like, okay, we'll just get you in the same house with a spider. And you realize that that didn't kill you. Um, You know, you just take tiny steps, you know, mm-hmm. what's one thing that you can do if you're really afraid of speaking to other people, maybe, maybe the one small step you take is to just, you know, say hello to a stranger at the grocery store um, or, you know, compliment someone on their outfit when you're out and about you just you take really small steps and you master that and then you realize you go oh my gosh that that had no negative consequences I I think I'm going to do something else and you just you just slowly take more and more courageous steps and you realize that it's completely okay
0: yeah yeah yeah, I love that approach. We call it our comfort zone stretch approach. And and it might just start with like making eye contact with someone or yes. just a, a small smile at someone and, yes. and realizing that you get some warmth back. And that's amazing, isn't it? Because often we expect the worst.
1: That's the most amazing thing is when you take those steps and, and something really positive happens. You know, there was, there was a woman from work that I, I didn't I didn't work with her officially through my coaching business, but just coaching her as a, as another young woman, you know, coming up through the ranks. And I mean, even just in the space of six months, she went from being this very, you know, shy person who was afraid of speaking out to um, actually doing presentations to the company and, you know, getting involved with the engagement. And it was like, every time she took a step And there was all of this positive feedback. You could just see her. She just took off like a rocket, you know, it was, it was really, really fun to see.
0: Oh, it's so lovely, isn't it? When you see that. Yes. I feel like asking you about, um, times of conflict as a HSP. Oh
1: my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) I'm actually, I'm actually, um, hosting a meetup group this weekend about that. Um, conflict can be very difficult as an HSP especially when we're still at the point where we get triggered and we don't know how to deal with it you know it can feel like you have a little bomb going off in your head and you don't know why and um, yes in my younger years I, I I had a temper you know that would kind of explode at inappropriate times at work and things like that So I've had to really work through that and again a lot of it has been around you know one understanding why certain people trigger you I mean I did you know this this sounds so um you know kind of, of flippant and people talk about it all the time but I I really did have to realize that people like my father really triggered me um people who were very um abrupt and um you know, it kind of felt like maybe they were trying to make me feel stupid. I -hmm. didn't realize that in the beginning, but those were things that really triggered and frustrated me. And so once I realized what that was and where it was coming from, I could in the moment realize, okay, this is not my dad. You know, they're, they're probably not intentionally trying to make me feel stupid. I'm just responding to my childhood programming. Mm -hmm. Um, But even in the best of situations, it can be difficult for us to um, kind of contain um, our our high emotions at that point in time. That takes a lot of practice. Um, You know, sometimes it's okay to take a break if you can and come back and have a conversation with a person later when you're feeling more calm to say, you know, that made me feel or not even made me feel, you know, this thing that you said, you know, had me feeling, or I had this response. And then, you know, they're almost inevitably going to say, oh my gosh, that was not my intention at all. You know, my intention Mm -hmm. was this and um, talking it out can be immensely, immensely helpful with those few people that it seems like are always put in our lives to make us stretch. (laughs) There are always those few people, right? That just drive you crazy.
0: I find that like they, they keep showing up until you kind of learn the lesson.
1: (laughs) Isn't that the truth? I find that absolutely to be the truth that there are always one or two that you think, Oh my gosh, have I not learned this yet? But on the positive side, I will say every time that you deal with it, you deal with it a little bit better and you Mm. really do learn um, to get better and better at dealing with people. So if you can find a way to just tell yourself, this is really uncomfortable right now, but I'm going to make it through and I will have time to sort of go into my deep thinking mode later to deal with it, but just you know, encourage yourself. And the next time you deal with it, you'll be even better. And you just get better and better and better over time.
0: Yeah. I think for me, the biggest thing was learning to sit in that discomfort and have hard conversations because my response was always to run away, to avoid, to try and do mm. the easy thing and people please. And and then you feel like conflicted inside because you're not yes. doing what feels
1: right for you. We do that a lot as highly sensitive people. Yes. Mm. You know, people do tend to have either the avoidance or kind of the little mini explosions. And, yeah. I, and I used to have both. But um, yes, we can learn to get better at that. And, I, you know, I think that all people in times of conflict, it can be uncomfortable. It's just that we feel it more deeply than other people, too. And we also are so deeply in tuned with the reactions of the person on the other end that we're dealing with both our emotions and theirs. And so yeah. it can take a little bit more practice to, you know, get better at dealing with it.
0: Yeah. I think we take a lot of responsibility for other people's emotions and, and that's why boundaries are so important. Too. Oh my
1: gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I, it's, just, it's something that I continue to learn all the time. It's amazing because, you know, life is a journey and you just continue to learn. I just, I, you know, if I live to be 95, I think I will still be learning something new about myself and the world.
0: Yeah, I really like that. We need to be thinking about ourselves as, as learners and just stay curious. And it's okay not to have all the answers. None of us do. Absolutely. Is there something more that you would like to share with the highly sensitive community?
1: Well, I think, you know,
0: just... I highly suggest
1: Elaine Aaron's book, *The Highly Sensitive Person*. There are many newer books out there, um, but that for me has been the best. And then, you know, do definitely seek out help where you need it. You know, if 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 you do need to, you know, look into therapy first because you're dealing with you know some trauma. Definitely go there. But if you want to make your life better, um, I do really recommend, you know, finding a coach that can help you kind of untwist some of these, um, the story that you have inside your head and and just some of these things that we, that we drag with us under the boat because it, it does not take years to change your life.
0: Yeah. Sometimes it takes years to find the puzzle pieces, but <laughs> when yes, you find the right person well, who's already
1: done the work, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you know, you, there there is the saying right that when when you're ready, the right teacher comes along. I have found that to be true yeah. in my life. You know that when I was ready for, you know, the next book, it it came into my life, and then the next person did, and then you know, the next person. And so it just keeps unwinding, but just don't stop looking, never stop looking.
0: Yeah. Okay. Dan, where can everybody find you after this conversation?
1: My business is called luminary life coaching. L U M I N A R Y luminary life com. Um, my business is on Facebook and Instagram as well at luminary life coaching. So yes, would, Would love to connect with more people. I love it. My goal in life is to help shortcut this learning process for other people. It took me, you know, decades and decades to get to this point of of self-acceptance and self-love and just really enjoying the life now as opposed to, you know, dreading getting up in the morning. And so, you know, for anyone who wants a little help with that, um, absolutely reach out.
0: Thank you very much. Um, And yeah, we will link to all of your social media and your website in the show notes and when we post this on social media too.
1: Okay, that's fantastic. Love it.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. It's been so interesting talking about high sensitivity and hearing your, your own transformation too.
1: Yes, thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for
0: listening. You can find the show notes from this episode at quietconnections.co.uk. Before you go, please subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with all future episodes. With gratitude for the support of the National Lottery